Channel 253. In this episode of Crossing Division. Over time, we're going to develop deeper and deeper partnerships with nonprofits and businesses on the hilltop and hopefully become a place where those residents feel comfortable to come convene, have meetings, uh, and come to great events that are going to be specifically targeting them mm-hmm. and helping give yeah. joy up on the hilltop. Channel 253 is a member-supported podcast network. I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I'm asking you to become a member and show your support. Go to channel253.com slash membership to join. Thank you. Hi, welcome to Crossing Division. This episode, we are talking with David Fisher from Tacoma Arts Live. Why are we doing that? Well, we'll give you the whole history, but basically the longtime management of Tacoma's beautiful historic theaters has been uh, a project that has been um, managed by Tacoma Arts Live, and now it will not be. And that's a big change for Tacoma. And uh, at least in, in all of the areas that I talk to people on social media, don't really talk to anyone in person anymore, um, there's a lot of questions about what happened and why this happened. So, David, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And let me just, uh, let me ask you for some background. So the first that I heard of this issue of the significant sea change on theater management was when um, you put out um, a uh, letter saying, uh, unfortunately, Tacoma Arts Live is not going to be participating and putting in a proposal for the city's request for proposals for future theater management. And I think that caught everyone's eye because I don't know that we knew that there was an RFP going on. And, And I guess I'll start there. So here we are. I mean, we found out about this in 2021, but here we are still in a pandemic, which is really unprecedented in our modern times. Um, Obviously, shows have not been taking place. The symphony has not been playing, you know, or at least not being able to do live productions for quite some time now. You know, we're a year and a half into our pandemic, really everything being shut down. Uh, I am assuming that all of the arts community has been just devastated by this. All of the income has been lost. And to me, it seems like this is not a responsible time for the city to say, you know what? We would like to request proposals for theater management because we think that that's the most fiscally responsible thing to do right now. To me, I would have expected the city to say, we've all been hurting. And it's so important to the city of Tacoma that we have a vibrant and functioning arts community when we come out of this, that we want to partner with you and find out what we can do to help each other move through this process. So issuing an RFP, encouraging people to bid against each other, to undercut each other, to try to get to the lowest possible cost for theater management, I was surprised by that. Well, it uh, was, as far as I can tell, a decision by the city staff uh, long before the pandemic. I um, had invited the city uh, leadership, the city manager, the city council, and the director of venues and events to join us on the stage of the Pantages 
in January of 2019 for a study session Mm -hmm. to celebrate the conclusion of the capital campaign that we had completed the previous quarter. And that was to redo the interior of the Pantages. Right, which we did uh, beautifully and on time and on budget. Mm -hmm. Uh, There was a lot of rigmarole to get there, and it was not... um, Uh, done any favors by Congress who passed a tax uh, change that gutted about uh, more than $3 million uh, from the budget because of uh, changes in tax credits. Mm -hmm. That's a little policy wonky for everybody, but uh, that meant we had to completely reorganize the campaign. The city refused to support any project management fees from us, so we had to add fundraising demands on us for those to keep our costs in line. So there was a whole bunch of uh, stuff going on there. The city finance department did a brilliant job in working with us to reorganize the campaign and get it done. Mm -hmm. And I really praise them for that. Let me put a little side note in there because I think this is true for any charitable enterprise right now. The Trump tax cuts basically wiped out the need to itemize to get any sort of credit for your charitable giving. So previously, like I would save up all of our charity, Mm -hmm. you know, receipts for the whole year in in an envelope so that at tax time I'd count them all up and see if we had enough charitable giving to meet a threshold for a uh, tax credit. But after the the Trump tax changes, you really didn't need to. You were going to get an automatic tax credit regardless of whether you gave one dime to charity. And I would assume that a lot of charitable giving and a lot of nonprofit activity just dropped enormously. It dropped, but I wouldn't say enormously. Mm, um, the tax credits that I'm referring to are uh, government-supported uh, incentives for uh, the private market to invest millions of dollars at a time over a seven-year window to return on investment, et cetera, et cetera. Is it it's like a bond? Are they buying like a bond? It's a kind? little bit like a bond. Okay. Um, and it's about the most complicated transaction you can imagine. We won't discuss it further. <laughs> it, took, it took more attorneys than anything else <laughs> to get this done. It just it dropped from a goal that the city bond uh, attorney in Seattle worked with us to develop a goal of $4.5 million. It dropped to $1.25 million. So you suddenly have about a $3 million hole <clears throat> in the budget for exactly. the revitalization. And that's where we stepped in and the city finance team stepped in and we reorganized and renegotiated and we figured out the priorities of what we could get done, and we got it done on that budget on time. We were Amazing. really thrilled to get over that finish line. Then um, we made this invitation to city leadership, come join us on the stage. That was January of 2019. Mm-hmm. By August, I had had no response and could not get a response. I bumped into a city official in the farmer's market, Mm -hmm. and they said, uh, oh, yeah, by the way, um, that uh, request to meet for a study session on the stage, we're not going to be able to do that because of an RFP that we're going to go out on. Interesting. And I went, oh, RFP, huh? I didn't know that. Well, and so for people listening, you probably know, but RFP is a request for proposals, and it's one of the funding... um, sort of contracting mechanisms used in the public sector. You put out a request for proposals, and then various people who want to bid will put in a proposal. And it's 
kind of a blind process. So everyone is competing against each other, and then the and then the contracting party, the city in this case, will unwrap all the proposals at about the same time and evaluate them and decide who is the um, best qualified proposal. It may not be the cheapest, but money is always a factor in those. And so that was the first we'd heard of RFP in this date. We had previously in 2005 participated in an open RFP, very mm-hmm. clear guidelines and fair, and we won that right. again to continue as manager. So mm-hmm. this was um, a surprise because nobody had talked to us about that. Uh, There was an obligation in our existing management contract with the city that we would sit down and negotiate terms for a renewal by a certain date in March of 2020. This is now August of 2019. Mm -hmm. And so we thought, uh, well, heck, you know, we're going to be ready to go uh, and let's let's see if we can negotiate our way to solve whatever the issues are for the city that are inspiring them to lead an RFP. Sure, that makes sense. So you're thinking, you know, before you go to the point of issuing an RFP, since your contract required that there be an opportunity to meet and negotiate a renewal Mm -hmm. or an extension of your current contract, that should all occur before there's any decision about going out to seek new proposals. One would think. but well, That's how it's supposed to work. That's how it should work. And so we started reaching out per our contractual agreement to ask for meetings. We started in September, October, November, December, and no response. And is this all during 2020? This is all in 2020. Okay. So uh, the contract was set to expire in December of 2021, and the renewal terms were contractually required to be completed by March of 2020. I'm sorry, I'm getting those dates wrong. Yeah, 2021. It was going to expire in December of 2020, and the terms would be due by March of 2020. Sorry about that. Oh, that's all right. It's been such a long saga. My years are blending together. Of course in my they head. are. So, so you hear about this possible RFP, a little tidbit, mm-hmm. in it, you know, just in a chit chat at the farmers market. Right. That's in August. Right. Then you don't hear anything about an RFP, despite requests. Despite requests, but meet. you're in the process of uh, <clears throat> trying to meet to talk about a potential renewal or extension of your current contract. As it's outlined in our existing contract, and we were ignored uh, for those meetings. Mm -hmm. Finally, in January of 2020, it was agreed that we would meet. We came into a meeting and we said, okay, um, let's roll up our sleeves, figure out what are the issues for the city that you want to see improved, uh, and let's hear what those are. So let me. So was that this January 2021? Then no, that was sorry. a year ago. <laughs> that was a year ago. So that was January of 2020. Okay, so before okay. the pandemic shut everything before down. Before the pandemic and before that March deadline. Okay. And so they finally agreed to meet. We sat in a room and we said, "What do you want to work on?" And they said, "We're not prepared to discuss that." And I said, "Well, why are we meeting then?" Well, because you asked for a meeting. Okay, well, we asked for a meeting so that we could negotiate. That was very clear, and they were unwilling to negotiate. We reached out again in February to say, you're ready now, and there was no response. And by the end of March, this deadline date, 
uh, we received a registered letter from the city of Tacoma that said uh, we are going out for an RFP and um, we hope you will apply. And by then, uh, the pandemic was in full bloom. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, to your earliest point here, why they didn't say, not a good time, let's sit down and Yeah, let's get us all through this pandemic before we do anything. It's a complete mystery to me. I don't know. We've never had a good answer. We've never had a complaint about our service. Uh, We led uh, or actually hired an independent assessment team to come in and run our business through their assessment filter. And we passed with A-plus grades in every part of our business, and we presented that assessment to the city of Tacoma uh, in December of 2018. So we just are, we're kind of dumbfounded about why. And the mm-hmm. only answer was, well, we just need to do this uh, to protect the taxpayers and make sure that it's a good pricing structure. And we said, well, we understand that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we never complained about the RFP, we didn't think it was necessarily necessary until there would be a breakdown in the renewal terms. Right. But they never presented those, and so they just jumped to this RFP right in the heat of a pandemic. So mm. that's it's been difficult to rationalize. Okay. And so then you get that information in March saying, we're not going to renegotiate your... Um, contract. We're not necessarily going to do a contract extension. We're going to do an RFP. We hope you'll bid. Um, That was March 30 of 2020. The RFP was not issued until uh, April of 2021. So what happens during that year? Well, during that time, the city, uh, as of June 1 of 2020, came to us and said, we're suspending your contract entirely. And we're zeroing out your fee entirely. Now, I have staff that are paid through that scope of work that we're executing. So now, on top of the pandemic constraints, I have the additional constraint of the city dollars going away, which puts even more pressure on staffing. Mm -hmm. I had to cut staff significantly. I cut like 16 people. And, um, you know... It it was excruciating. Meanwhile, the city was taking 15% cuts, 1-5%. They were demanding us to take 100% cut. That did not sit well with my board of trustees. We're a private, independent, 501c3 charitable nonprofit organization led by a board of 25 trustees. That did not sit well. Mm-hmm. with them. And so we fought and argued. We argued and argued. And finally, by December of 2020, when the program, when the uh, existing contract was ready to uh, expire, we agreed to take an 80% cut, 80% cut, and um, extend the contract through June 30 of 2021, primarily so that we could write contracts for the future right. and get all of the resident arts organizations focused on the restart after the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Because what if you had done 100% stop and just said, fine, stop, we walk out? Well, then what happens day to day? Well, none of the 
planning work, none of the support work. Meanwhile, by the way, for all of these agencies, our box office are managing patrons and refunds and date changes and all of that for every single one of those agencies. Yeah. You can't just wind down to nothing and expect to have something when you want to start up again. Exactly. So um, we finally just kind of bit the bullet and took that uh, 80% 80 cut with the understanding that we would be writing contracts for the future. Mm -hmm. We developed all the calendaring and all of the procedures around that. And at the last minute, the city said, nope, we're rescinding the right for you to issue those contracts. And to date, um, other resident arts organizations have received their contracts based on the calendar management that we did. We have not received our contracts for future usage. So when the city made these decisions, did they give you uh, an example? So I review a lot of contracts, and there are various types of termination you can do. But when you terminate a contract or even do a stop work order, you need to say, pursuant to section such and such of the contract, we are invoking our right to terminate or our invite to, you know, our right to stop work for this reason. And you explain it. And then the other side has usually an opportunity to say, well, we're going to protest that and go through a protest process because we don't think that, that the contract actually works that way. The only excuse they gave was the pandemic, but not exerting any clause from the contract. And we did protest it, and that's how we ended up at an 80% cut. I see. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then uh, we started managing the calendaring for the future and getting ready to issue contracts. And then the RFP hit in April of 2021. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, a surprise, a big surprise, because there were five items in that RFP that were a radical departure from past practice and from best practice. Uh, Let me stop you there. Okay. We're going to take a short break because I think getting into the nitty gritty of the RFP is interesting. Okay. Hi, I'm Eric Hanberg, host of the Channel 253 podcast, Citizen Tacoma. And I've been a customer of TAPCO Credit Union since I was a kid. Really, my parents set up a savings account for me, and I've had that account with them ever since. In fact, my first credit card wasn't from a big banking conglomerate. It was from TAPCO, and I still have that too. What I appreciate about TAPCO is that they are intensely local. Just like Channel 253, TAPCO keeps its focus on just Tacoma and Pierce County. They have easy-to-reach locations in the Tacoma area, and when I don't want to drive, I just use online banking. And they still help parents teach their kids good savings habits. The Moolah Kids Club teaches kids about savings, not only through interest on their money, but with special prizes like cupcakes and discounts at local attractions. So if you want to help your kids start a savings account the same way my parents did, check out our local credit union at tapcocu.org. My thanks to TAPCO for their support of this podcast and Channel 253. Okay, we're back. Hey, before we get into the nitty-gritty of the RFP, let me just say, if you are not yet a Channel 253 member, this is a great time to join us. It's $40 a year, $4 a month, and you get all kinds of great podcasts like this one where we try to get the inside story on what's going on in our city Um, Plus a few member exclusives like uh, the 
Off the Record podcast and access to the member Slack channel, which is, let me tell you, the best place for gossip in Tacoma. So let's talk about this RFP. So the RFP hits in April, and it's not quite what you were expecting. No, and just to reiterate, we never made a demand of the city not to conduct the RFP. And we were ready, my board, my staff, we were all in agreement. We were going to respond to the RFP. And then it was published with five items that were so beyond the pale that we could not participate. What was that? The five items were uh, the city expected us to be removed as a resident arts organization, which meant that our programming arm would not be able to participate as we always have and enjoying the same rates and privileges as mm-hmm. the symphony and the ballet and the opera and et cetera. Had that ever been raised as an issue that having Tacoma Arts Live as an arts organization using the facilities was not okay? No complaints ever. In fact, we had, when I came in almost 16 years ago now, I completely reorganized the books so that uh, all of the city management structure lived in its own silo, if you will. Mm-hmm. And then all the programming work that we did paid rent to the management silo. I see. So that we were holding ourselves accountable in exactly the yeah. same rates and prices as the symphony and the ballet. And the yeah, that's fair. So yeah. you didn't have any insider advantage. Nope. You were uh, being equal to absolutely. all the other groups. Paid absolutely all the same fees and... We always waited for the resident arts organizations to book their dates first mm. before we ever booked any of ours. Mm-hmm. And it was just the, the protocol and the courtesy that we developed uh, so that we weren't taking any special privileges yeah. along the way. Okay. So, so that in and of itself would tell me, did they write this RFP specifically to exclude Tacoma Arts Live from... Bidding? I, I can't help but believe that's the case yeah. because of how targeted uh, these were. Yeah. So what was the second? The second was that the city um, was going to uh, demand we put money down uh, in a trust fund that they would hold for their capital improvements. Okay. That doesn't – so they own the theaters. They want you to put your charitable organization's money – down to pay for um, things, improvements that will benefit their asset, the theater, Correct. that they will then have the value of in the future. Correct. So that's just, they just, they basically want you to give them a gift. I don't know of any apartment manager that gets hired and the apartment owner says, oh, by the way, we want you to go out and fundraise on our behalf and we want you to put your money into mm-hmm. my building. Yeah. You make the improvements and I'll take the benefit. Uh, That's right. So that didn't make any sense. In the past, what we had done was when there were improvements needed, we would negotiate uh, the priority of those improvements, build a budget, the city would commit X dollars, and we would go out and fundraise the gap. Mm -hmm. And over 42 years, we fundraised through all non-municipal sources, we fundraised more than $30 million into the city's assets. Wow. So um, that was another issue. The Mm -hmm. other uh, issue was they were demanding that they had the right uh, to um, 
approve hiring of leadership staff. Of your staff, Correct. of Tacoma of Arts Live staff. the independent 501c3 staff. That didn't sit too well with my board either. Um, and, you know, those were the big ones. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, when we looked at it, we felt like there was no room to negotiate, plus the abuse we'd already taken in the lack of good faith negotiations with Mm -hmm. the city. But there was this particular phrase that was repeated uh, in the RFP that said, we expect all respondents to adhere to these terms substantially, or they may not be considered uh, for the RFP. So... We just felt like, well, these five things are so big in the, not only in the change but in the demands within the RFP, we're not going to commit to those. Yeah. So therefore, we didn't feel like we even could submit on the RFP mm-hmm. because of those prescriptive constraints. Yeah. On that. Well, I, I did a review of the RFP, and I one of the things that caught my eye was uh, this statement that says the successful proposer will exclusively manage the day-to-day operation of the theaters. The proposal must identify the initial and long-term financial support required from the city for the ongoing management and operation of the venues and should include consideration for minimizing over time the city's role in providing such financial support. And so to me, that said two things. One, we don't want anyone who has got other venues that they're engaged with. And two, um, by the way, don't think the city is going to continue to make its financial contribution to this arts activity. Right. The reality of inflation now even more than ever is so contrary to that thinking that we could not accept that, Mm -hmm. right? Who could possibly say that the cost of doing business in the future is going to be cheaper than it is today? It just doesn't work that way. So it was another issue about why we couldn't participate. Again, they were excluding our presenting program, excluding us from being a resident arts organization, et cetera. So we declared for all of those reasons, very transparently and clearly, we can't participate Um, and, uh, you know, the only thing that we ask of city council, uh, is to reinstate us as a resident arts organization and Mm -hmm. God, God bless city council. That's exactly what they did. And then we stood back and have not asked for any other expectations. We had an obligation to our community who over 42 years have helped generate $30 million to tell them what was going on and why. We specifically said in the letter, do not advocate on our behalf. Right. We have not asked the, uh, the community to do anything uh, in this issue. But I'd they say— They have responded yeah, of the, their own accord. The community has wanted to rally around Tacoma Arts Live. I think mm-hmm. it's a beloved— institution. I think it is well regarded. You are well regarded. Thank you. But is there anything to rally around? I mean, what are, what, where do things stand? No, there's nothing to do. The city has stayed in their trench and uh, just plowed forward. Uh, They have refused uh, council requests to open up dialogues. The mayor and council member Ushka chatted with me and we agreed that we would open a mediation uh, that would explore ways for us to be able to apply to the RFP. Mm-hmm. And city staff turned around 
and reframed that, shut that down completely and said, well, we'll go through mediation, but it's only going to be about healing. Oh. And we said, well, that's not going to work Is that what what you're needing? Yeah. I I said, you know, I appreciate that you're trying to do something, but healing is not exactly where we're at right now. Mm -hmm. And healing will come when the city fulfills on its existing contractual terms. And at this point, here we are in uh, August of 21, the city has breached their contracts with us four times. So this is a real thing. Right. And um, it's it's been extremely difficult to try to navigate. I'm moved by the community's response uh, and their passion for our work. It's been fantastic to have that affirmation. Um, but again, uh, city staff has refused to bend mm-hmm. uh, in this process. So we're about to go see the city go into contract with ASM Global, which is the venue management arm of AEG Live, which is a multinational corporation. And uh, that's who's going to be managing the venues. Yeah, this is a for-profit entity, ASM Global. Um, they currently in Washington manage the Showware Center in Kent, but they haven't, judging by their website, they they manage a lot of arenas, a lot of convention centers, um, historic theaters in, um, you know, not very large cities is not really their main thing. I really don't know that much about them, yeah. so I can't, I can't comment on that. So what happens now for Tacoma Arts Live? You know, um, given the city's uh, foot dragging and the pandemic, it's given us a lot of time to, <laughs> yeah. to rethink who we are and how we're going to operate. And frankly, um, the city contract represented 13% of our revenue. That's not an insurmountable number to replace. And when you take that 13% and associate it with all of the expenses that we took on to manage the venues, um, we barely broke even most years. Mm -hmm. So from a financial point of view, this is a lifting off our shoulders. It's depressing for us because managing those venues and being the steward of those historic buildings has been a core part of who we are in our heart and in our uh, determination. So to have that taken away, it's left a gap Mm -hmm. for us. Thankfully, uh, Fred Roberson, who's a local developer and philanthropist, has uh, agreed to gift us the Tacoma Armory. And that has given us new energy and focus to develop that as an event center and a community center based on the hilltop mm-hmm. that will become, I think, one of the more lively venues in town. I think that's an excellent location. You know, you've got, I mean, you've got all sorts of good good opportunities around there, plus the new light rail is going to run just that's a right. couple yeah. blocks up. So, you know, we've been devoted since I took over leadership almost 16 years ago to presenting artistry uh of people of color for people of color. And uh, more than 50% of our programs have served those communities of the global majority. And 
we're going to continue to do that. We're going to continue to rent the city venues as a resident arts organization. So we're going to be present there and we'll probably continue to be the largest user of those facilities. We just won't be managing them. Mm -hmm. Hopefully the new managers will do a good job. We need them to. We want them to. We want them to succeed because it will best serve the resident companies and our work in delivering great programs to the community. Mm -hmm. Armory is going to do the same, but the Armory is going to take also a perspective to recognize that we are in a new neighborhood and we can serve and be partners with the community on the hilltop. So over time, we're going to develop deeper and deeper partnerships with nonprofits and businesses on the hilltop and hopefully become a place where those residents feel comfortable to come convene, have meetings, uh, and come to great events that are going to be specifically targeting them mm-hmm. and helping give yeah. joy up on the hilltop. That's a nice space. You've got some space where you can do some all sorts of interesting things since you've yeah. got that big open area. Yeah, so it's exciting for us. And, and you know, we're bringing uh, the Van Gogh immersive exhibit is coming in December of this year. It's an internationally renowned exhibit that is so cool because as you move through the venue, the art is uh, animated in a way and projected in massive scale. So it just wraps you in Van Gogh's work and it's it's a remarkable experience. So we're excited to be doing that uh, just as we did Uh, We brought in the Sistine Chapel exhibit a couple of years ago. So we're looking at taking on more and more of those interactive exhibits of large-scale things that the museums couldn't do. Mm -hmm. But maybe we can raise all boats. And as we're bringing people from throughout the state to see these exhibits, we're going to be pushing that they go and visit the Art Museum and the Glass Museum and the State History Museum. State History Museum and the uh, Seaport mm-hmm. Waterway and Excellent. Green the Car Trike Museum and the Car Museum, right? I mean, we have got so many assets uh, in this town, and we want to continue to be a good partner mm-hmm. uh, to that whole system. So in the future, let's just say I, I have some, well, I don't know. You know, ASM Global is a really uh, huge corporate entity, so maybe they can take a loss for a number of years. But I sort of wonder whether managing our theaters is going to be the type of work that they want to do long term. So let's so I'm assuming they may decide this isn't really for us at some point in time. Do you think Tacoma Arts Live might be in the future interested in getting back into theater management or does it sort of depend on what? You Everything know, else is it happening. depends on good faith, open negotiations. And if the city ever wants to sit down and have that conversation with us in an open and honest way, we would welcome that. And we always have welcomed that along the way in this process. As for ASM Global, again, I want them to succeed, but I want them to succeed on behalf of this community, not on behalf of their shareholders. Mm-hmm. Uh, and let's make sure that this community is being served in an authentic and transparent way. Mm -hmm. Anything I haven't asked you about that you'd like an opportunity to talk about, David? Well, um, what isn't going to change is our presenting work and our touring work, although, again, uh, the city has put forward a very prejudicial approach on fees associated with Oh, yeah, tell me about that. 
So they're now proposing in this year uh, an additional fee to be put on touring artists, not local producers, but those that come from national and international mm-hmm. touring. So if you were to to arrange for the Alvin Ailey Dance Theater to as, come and do a performance at the Pantages. As we're working on, yes. And there would be wonderful. That would I would love to see that at We've Tacoma. brought them several times and we're gonna we're working on an additional tour. So that would have an additional fee on it, it would. as compared to the Symphony Tacoma Correct. doing a performance. Yeah. And in one or two years, I don't remember the exact time frame, they're anticipating increasing that fee. I think it's instead of a dollar fifty per ticket for the resident companies they are saying to Tacoma Arts Live, the only presenter among the resident companies, the only one who brings in touring acts, that they're going to increase that from $1.50 to $2.50, oops, to $5.50 wow. over time. Now, to us, when we're presenting more than 50% artists of color, right. that translates to a tax on audiences of color. Yes. And that is offensive to us. And it seems absolutely contrary to the city's commitment for uh, equity and inclusion. I don't know. So, look, I we were season ticket holders to the symphony for a number of years, and I love them. Mm-hmm. But that audience is not a diverse audience. That is very much – if you ever, as a 59-year-old like me, want to feel young again <laughs> – Go to some of these concerts because you will be young again. I mean, it's a very old, white, uh, senior, lovely people, but that's not the the youth of Tacoma. I I love the symphony, and they are doing uh, the heavy lifting of working to expand that. They have changed quite a bit, I will say, over the last several years. But why should they have the privilege of paying $1.50 when if we bring in Dance Theater of Harlem or Buddy Guy or uh, any number of artists of color, the audiences who come to those are going to pay an additional, uh, what is that, $4. Yeah, that's quite a that's a bit. big lift. Especially if you want to bring your family. And it becomes inaccessible. Yeah. So it's obscene, and I hope the city comes to their senses and revokes that plan. Well, what can we do anything on that? I mean, is there any way we can be effective in trying to say to the city, you know, we understand revenue is tight, and we appreciate you finding ways to, you know, bring in revenue everywhere you can, but this is going to have the we hope, unintended consequence of adding significantly to the costs of the audience for these productions that are beloved, especially in the communities of color. Well, I really do think um, I've been careful not to advocate for the community to speak on our behalf. I think they need to speak on their own behalf. So if that is an issue for community members, they should speak up. We are advocating on our own behalf. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Meanwhile, then, great programs coming. uh, And our education program, which is one of the largest in the United States, serves 50,000 students annually with focus on civil rights, uh, education, and on uh, social-emotional learning. That work is continuing to grow and expand. We've uh, hired new staff, and uh, they are. We're diversifying our staff of color, 
uh, and growing that significantly. We've just hired uh, a new development director who's a wonderful woman out of Bellevue, and she is a woman of color. That is exciting to us. So we're staying committed to our values Mm -hmm. and committed to delivering great programs uh, for the South Sound. Excellent. Well, I wish you well. I want to say thank you for all of your years of service. I think that you know, one of the things, we moved to Tacoma about 22 years ago, and um, the Broadway Center and the theater district was kind of one of the few areas downtown that was still productive, and I think it had not been productive for a long time. And because of that, I would say, I mean, you know, the tentacles reach out, yeah. right? You mm-hmm. know, the UWT, all of these uh, areas that the, there have been investments in, all of the beautiful museums it enriches our community like, you know, a hundred times beyond the investment. Yeah, we uh, were driving almost a $20 million economic impact uh, through the theater district annually. Yeah. And that goes right back to the city coffers, mm-hmm. right? So that's a big deal. Well, and um, as secondary, you know, for employment and, and right. investment, you know, I don't think McMinimums, they didn't just want to come to the Elks Temple because it was a pretty building. Mm-hmm. They wanted to come to Tacoma because mm-hmm. Tacoma is... Um, vibrant and alive and exciting. I hope the community uh, steps back in uh, to join us, uh, whether it's in the downtown theaters or at the Armory. Come. We're going to keep everybody safe. We have really good protocols, and we're following best practices from the CDC and the Pierce County Health Department. So we feel like we've got this pretty wired, and we're all about keeping people safe, but let's get back to it so we can connect and enjoy life and enjoy being with one another again. Sounds good to me. Great. All right. Thank you, David. Thank Um, you. Listeners, if you have thoughts on this, you can send me an email, truetacoma at gmail.com, or find me on Twitter at true underscore Tacoma. That's it for this episode. Thank you. Did you know Channel 253 is member-supported? I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I hope you will show your support by going to channel253.com slash membership and join. Thank you. Crossing Division is part of the Channel 253 Podcast Network. Check out our other shows. Nerd Farmer, Interchangeable White Ladies, We Art Tacoma, Move to Tacoma, Taco Man, Flounders B Team, Citizen Tacoma, What Say You, and Gimme the Mic. This is Channel 253.